Hey y'all, it's your girl Vera Payam, and I am here with another episode of The Vera Payam Show. This episode is about kink and the ethics of indulging taboo fantasies. And damn it, you better like it, because this is the third time I've had to record it today. Oh my god. <laughs> Anywho, uh, so, okay, so as I started writing this episode, um, I realized that I needed to turn this episode into two parts because I just had a lot to say on this topic and one episode just wasn't going to cut it. <laughs> so the first part is going to cover the basics of kink. What is kink? What is not kink? And how does consent factor into all this? Like why is consent such a big fucking deal, right? Part two is going to go more in depth into like more taboo kinks. Um, why people like them and how to engage in them safely. So some of you listening to this might already be seasoned kinksters, especially those of you that tune into my Chatterbait show. And you might be tempted to skip over this part, but don't, okay? Don't. Definitely tune in for the whole episode because no matter how familiar you are with kink, no matter how experienced you are, even the most experienced kinkster can benefit from checking in with themselves and reviewing the basics every now and again. So I also wanted to, of course, drop the standard disclaimers. I'm not a lawyer or licensed psychiatrist. I'm not here to tell you what to do um, in any particular situation or given act. But what I can do is share with you some of my own personal experience and some of the general like heuristics or rule of thumb that I use to keep myself and my partner safe. Because first and foremost is always the mental, emotional, and spiritual well-being of all parties involved. The goal of kink or any sexual experience is to have a mutually satisfying experience. And we're not looking to harm people in ways they do not wish to be harmed in. Of course, I also want to put out a trigger warning that some of the kinks I'm going to be discussing might be triggering, offensive, or disturbing for some people listening. And, you know, that's okay. Like, not all kinks are for everyone. Not everyone is kinky. And that's all right. But if you do hear something that doesn't sit well with you, especially in episode two, episode two is where I'm really going to get into more taboo fantasies. Um, so if you do hear something that doesn't sit well with you, I do hope that you listen with an open mind and a spirit of genuine curiosity and understanding because you know the goal of this podcast isn't to like make people kinky it's to spread knowledge awareness and understanding of what we do and why we do it so that you know it doesn't seem so like weird or scary to people so with that out of the way the first thing i want to touch on is consent because we can't talk about sex or kink without talking about consent. And I cannot emphasize enough the importance of consent. Um, the, the, re the main reason that consent plays such a big role in kink is because consent is the only difference between a kinkster and a criminal. It is the only difference between kink and crime. The only difference is ongoing, informed consent. That's it. That is everything. So what is informed ongoing consent and how do you know it has been established? So informed ongoing consent is an explicit agreement between two or more adults to engage in a particular act or series of acts. Like the name states, number one, all parties must be fully informed about the potential risks of what they're gonna do. 
and two, it is the agreement. The agreement is ongoing and continuously renegotiated as necessary. So let's dig more into like the nitty gritty of these. Informed means that all parties have the ability and necessary information to make a wise decision about what they're going to do and what they're not going to do. So if someone is drunk or under the influence or otherwise just not mentally sound, then they're not capable of giving informed consent. And, you know, you really shouldn't be pressuring this person for sex or for kink. And, you know, I know that this can be a really tricky one for people because, you know, I know some people like to have like a drink or two, you know, um, to get comfortable in sexual situations. And, you know, and I know at a lot of the parties that I went to, there was definitely, you know, drugs and alcohol were definitely very available. And I would be lying if I said that I wasn't downright wasted at some of these events. However, you know, now that I'm sober and I look back on a lot of my experiences, I can safely say that, you know, there are quite a few people and things that I probably would not have done or said if you heard some of my other podcasts <laughs> had I not been intoxicated. And I'm lucky, like nothing particularly bad has ever happened to me. I'm really fortunate in that, you know, I, ha I keep a very good circle of friends. But if I'm being completely honest, drunk me makes very different decisions from sober me. And I think it should also go without saying that getting people drunk or intoxicated specifically to get intimate with them is not okay. It's not only dishonest, but it is downright predatory. The second aspect of consent is that, um, is adequately informing your partner about what it is that they're getting into. Surprising your partner in the moment, surprise anal, <laughs> is not, is not part, is not consensual, right? Um, withholding information that might affect your partner's decision is not acceptable. Everyone needs to know exactly what they're signing up for and what they're agreeing to do or to not do. And the other aspect is that it is ongoing, right? Like just because someone gave you their consent for anal yesterday does not mean that you automatically have their consent for anal today, tomorrow, or next year. People are allowed to change their mind and retract their consent at any time during an interaction, even in the middle of a previously agreed upon act. And you are infringing upon their consent if you try to pressure them any otherwise. Consent can be revoked at any point in time during an interaction. And it should also be consistently and enthusiastically reaffirmed. Even with partners I've had for like over a decade, you know, we still consistently check in with each other. We have safe sex conversations and we reaffirm the things that we do and do not want to do on any given day. Like communicating openly, honestly, and consistently is a must. And it's really important that we not like shame our partners for doing so, right? Like if your partner, if your partner decides that maybe in the middle of having sex or in the middle of some kind of kinky activity that they want to take a break or that they don't want to do it, you know, it's really important that we treat them with respect and that we honor their requests, you know, that we don't, uh, you know, like, 
Um, because to me, I think that if somebody says that to me in the middle of a situation, I take that as a compliment because it means that they feel safe enough and comfortable enough with me that they feel like they can vocalize the things that they're feeling. So I don't see that necessarily as a negative. I see that as a positive. And the ongoing consent of all parties is an absolute necessity. Like if at any point in time your partner seems hesitant or unsure, take a beat, you know, check in with them. Like if your partner expresses verbally or non-verbally that they're uncomfortable, it's okay to de-escalate and to go back to something more comfortable that you know that you both enjoy. And the other reason that you might want to check in with your partner is, who knows, maybe they want to go a little bit further, right? Like, whatever the situation is, if you or your partner are feeling uncomfortable, check in. And I think a lot of people are afraid to check in because, like, they think it's kind of, like, awkward, you know? But there's a lot of ways to do that without, like, to make it sexy and to check in without, like, ruining the vibe. So, like, for instance, some of the ways that I do it is I do the, like, ooh, how does that feel? Do you like that? Oh, oh, is that too much for you? Too much? Too much? Okay, okay, let's reel it back. Okay, no worries, right? Like, those are just a few easy ways to, like, simultaneously check in and, like, you know, keep the vibe going. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with taking things slow, especially when you're new to kink or you're with a partner that, you know, you're unfamiliar with, right? Like, you're with a new partner, like a good example is like I remember this one time I was making videos with a girlfriend of mine. Um, she's the one I did the naughty nun video, the escort video, and the stepsister punishment video, and a couple others. Uh, her name is Lynn Landra. She is fantastic. You should definitely go check her out on Twitter. You should check out all the videos that we did together. She's super hot. Uh, Lynn is also a masochist. Uh, and so I met her through her partner. So I already knew ahead of time that like she was into some pretty intense play. Like her partner has like stapled things to her body and set them on fire. Like under the right circumstances, I knew she she likes to suffer, right? The girl likes to suffer. So even though I knew that she, you know, was a masochist, she liked a lot of pain and she liked to suffer and she enjoyed that kind of intense play, I still started slow. Um, and I took my time, you know, building up the intensity when playing with her because I wanted to establish a connection with her and make sure that, you know, she felt safe and that we were all on the same page. So when I did go in to check in with her, she like giggles and she was like, oh yeah, you can totally go harder. <laughs> I was like, yes. <laughs> but, you know, having that kind of affirmation not only ensures the safety of everyone involved, but is also like super hot, right? And personally, I would rather play with somebody who's like really into what we're doing than someone who's like not responsive or not really sure that they want to be there. And personally, I find it easier to like ramp up the intensity than it is to de-escalate it. But regardless of the activity, you know, my primary concern is to make sure that my partner feels safe and comfortable with me. Taking the time out to respect your partner's boundaries and check in with them, it's not only ethically the right thing to do, but it also builds trust and it sets the stage for better, more satisfying experiences in the future. Like, people are always going to be more open to being sexually adventurous when they feel safe and comfortable. And this is especially true, in my personal opinion, this is especially true of, like, women and people who are new to kink, you know, who don't know what to expect, you know? If you make them feel safe and comfortable, then they're going to, 
they're probably going to be more willing to be more experimental with you. And this is pretty basic for engaging in like any kind of sexual activity, you know, kink or not. But it's just, it's such an important part of kink that I cannot emphasize it enough. Ongoing informed consent is the only thing separating kink from crime. So now that we've established consent, what's up with all this kink business, right? Like what is kink? What is not kink? And why the fuck do people love it so much? <laughs> so kink is an umbrella term for any kind of like unconventional sexual behavior. So this can encompass anything from simple activities like playing dress up and wearing sexy lingerie, all the way to things like cuckolding, fetishism, BDSM, power play, role play, cock and ball torture, verbal humiliation, and all kinds of other forms of play. So obviously, you know, I'm not going to cover everything under the kink umbrella because there's a lot of stuff under there. Uh, but for this episode, I do want to start off with the basics of kink. And I want to dispel a few myths and talk about some forms of play that are nearest and dearest to my heart. Uh, so if there are certain kinks that you are especially curious about or you want to hear me talk more in depth about, definitely leave me a comment um, in the comment section about what things you'd like to hear me cover in future episodes, and I'll definitely do that. So the first, the first point I want to drive home is that having a kink does not make someone a weirdo or a pervert or mentally ill or sick or deranged or dangerous or a bad parent. As long as there is ongoing informed consent between two or more adults, being kinky is not a crime. Being a kinkster does not make someone a pedophile, a rapist, or a child molester. That is not kink. Kink is a consensual activity between two or more adults. And if it's not consensual and or it's not with human adults, it's not kink. And it is definitely a crime. Now, lots of like normal, wholesome, consenting adults enjoy kink. Kinksters have families, can be parents, have successful careers, go to church, are part of the community, have friends, and are otherwise basically normal fucking people. <laughs> like, adults enjoying consensual creative sex is normal. If you have a kink or a fetish, you are not broken, you're not a bad person, you're not a sinner, you're not evil, there's nothing wrong with you. Being kinky is normal. And lots of healthy, happy people enjoy kinks, and it's okay to have different desires. And, you know, I feel like this should go without saying, but, you know, there's definitely still a certain social stigma that goes along with being, like, kinky or non-monogamous. Like, if you listen to the interview I did with Dr. Ryan Witherspoon, uh, he echoes the same sentiment. If you haven't listened to the interview yet, I highly recommend checking out my other podcasts and go listening to it. Um, but Dr. Witherspoon has spent years specializing in research on microaggressions toward people in non-monogamous relationships. And there's a lot of research and evidence that shows that non-monogamous and kinky people still face a lot of aggression and discrimination in society. Um, they're often treated with suspicion or as deviants or criminals. People have lost custody of their children. They've lost their jobs, lost their housing, and even been sexually assaulted just because of their personal taste in the bedroom. And you know, most of it I think comes from a lack of understanding about the diversity of human sexuality, why we like it, and you know, and what it is. 
And I think that, you know, films like The Secretary and Fifty Shades of Grey or shows like Bonding, you know, have helped kind of like bring kink into the public eye. But in my personal opinion, like not necessarily in good ways. Um, you know, in my opinion, these films kind of depict and perpetuate rather unhealthy or unrealistic ideas about kink, about its relationship dynamics. And often kinksters are portrayed as like broken people who are, you know, using kink as a way to like, uh, you know, take out their, their aggression or their brokenness on other people. And so I think it's really important to not only have like representation, but to also have the voices and perspectives of people who are actually experienced in this lifestyle being the forefront of that representation, right? People who are normal folks, you know, that are not broken or damaged, right? Like that people see that kinksters are normal people. So, all right, with that, um, I want to get into some of the most common questions and misconceptions that I hear the most. So by far, the most popular question I get is, um, what does BDSM stand for? So BDSM, B-D-S-M, is kind of a clever acronym, and it represents three specific categories of power play. There's B and D, there's D and S, and there's S and M. So on the surface, to the untrained eye, they might all look the same. You know, one person with power wielded it over another person with less power. But there are subtle distinctions between these three categories. So let's start with the first category, B and D. This stands for bondage and domination. I think this is usually what a lot of people think of when they first think of kink. You know, like leather, whips, chains, latex, boots, object fetishes, tops punishing or disciplining a bottom. This kind of play is generally more based around objects, fetishization, punishment, discipline, that kind of thing. Uh, so the next category is D and S. This stands for dominant and submissive. On the So this kind of play, this is kind of where most of my kinks uh, fall under. This kind of play uh, often tends to be more based around like power, control, submission, and protocol. So in this category, you'll often find a lot of like role play, you know, master slave or daddy doms and their littles. It's usually more based around the relationship between the dom and the sub, and it tends to be more mental and emotional. And then the last two letters are S and M. This stands for sadism and masochism. So this is where you're going to find like your true sadists and masochists. A lot of times these words really get tossed around and are often synonymous with kink, but people who are like true sadists and true masochists are, they're not the bulk of people who practice kink, right? Like that is a very specific class of kink and people. And these kinks are all about inflicting pain, receiving pain, and just enduring general suffering. Uh, this is often where you see a lot more edge play. So things such as like needles and blood and bruising, branding, hooks, knife play, breath play, clothes pins, and other real like intense forms of play. And this is generally, this kind of play is generally based around the enjoyment of suffering, usually physical, but sometimes emotional as well. 
And of course, most people uh, enjoy a mix of things, right? Most people don't neatly fit into a specific category. So you'll often see overlaps between these groupings, right? Like you might see a daddy dom who enjoys schoolgirl uniforms or leather, or you might see a sadist who enjoys playing mind games or inflicting more emotional suffering. Um, or you might see fetishists who have a master-slave dynamic to their relationship. No, it's important to note that these aren't hard, fast labels, you know, but knowing and understanding these general categories often helps newbies kind of get a better idea of what they're looking at um, and where they might personally like to start exploring or where they might kind of fit in. Um, so if you're new, another good place to start exploring is to figure out what your power orientation is. So this is a big part of kink, at least the kinks I enjoy. Um, I enjoy a lot of like, we call it power play or playing with power dynamics. And so usually in this kind of kink, there is a dominant or a top and there's a sub or a bottom. So the top is the one delivering the action, uh, giving the orders, or generally controlling the scene. They're the one with more power. The bottom is the one generally taking the orders, being told what to do, or generally on the receiving end. They're the ones with less power. And of course, there's people who enjoy both roles, like myself, and we're called switches because we can switch between roles, right? We can be dominant or submissive. So another important thing to note is that Having a particular kink does not necessarily guarantee that someone is submissive or dominant. So your kink is separate from your power orientation. So for example, when I played with Lynn, um, I told you she's a total masochist, but she is not submissive. So like if you watch our steps, like a good example is if you watch our stepsister punishment video. So in this video, I'm like, I'm slapping her, I'm spanking her, I'm pegging her, you know, I'm like pulling her hair and like talking shit to her, you know, but the whole time she's like snickering, she's kind of laughing and she's just generally being an absolute brat. <laughs> and so she enjoys the strong physical sensations of being like disciplined, but she doesn't actually enjoy being submissive, nor does she have a desire to submit. And this is the difference between a sub and a bottom, um, right? Like a sub genuinely enjoys being submissive. They enjoy following orders. Whereas a bottom really is just like, just beat my ass. Okay, just beat my ass. <laughs> and the same thing goes for a dom and a top, right? Like, um, like a dom generally enjoys like, you know, being served, obedience, you know, having their subs, you know, follow orders, right? And a top is generally enjoys doling out punishments or like inflicting pain to their bottoms, you know? They're like, no, I don't give a fuck. Don't bring me coffee. Just fucking bend over and let me smack that ass, right? <laughs> and again, you know, these might seem like subtle distinctions, but they really do make a huge difference when, you know, trying to find compatible partners and trying to put together a scene that's going to be like mutually enjoyable, you know? And of course, these are not hard, fast, you know, categories. A lot of people do enjoy both, but in general, I think they're just important distinctions to make. 
Um, yeah, especially if you're especially if you're new and you're trying to figure out who to play with and who you're going to be compatible with. So, like for instance, let's say I want you to serve me and like rub my feet, but you really only want me to beat your ass. Well, you know we might not be compatible, or you know we might have to negotiate a little bit to find some common activities we both enjoy. Maybe I do this for you, you do that for me, right? There might need to be a little more negotiation to find that common ground. And of course, um, it might get a little confusing because kinksters also tend to enjoy more than one kink. So sometimes it can be difficult to kind of say where that line is, where one kink ends and another kink begins. Um, you know, for example, like me being a switch, you know, sometimes I like being dominant, sometimes I like being submissive. And oftentimes it, it really depends on like who I'm playing with, how experienced they are with kink, how well we know each other, and what our common interests are. Um, and sometimes it just it just depends on how well we vibe and, you know, if I fucking like you or not. Like, <laughs> like you know, I might want to be, like, totally submissive to one person, but then, like, completely dominant over another person. Um, and it's interesting, too, because personally, like, I, I personally enjoy being submissive a lot more then I enjoy being dominant because a lot of it is like, I'm really picky about who I'm submissive with. You know, I want to know that the person who I give that kind of power to is safe, is knowledgeable, and will ultimately respect my boundaries. But it's very interesting because in my actual play, if I look at it, I actually spend more time being dominant because I find that, um, I find that I tend to have a lot more experience than those people. So I usually end up taking the dominant role, even though I enjoy being submissive. Something interesting. <laughs> um, and I think the other thing too that to, to point out is that a big part of being a good dom or a top is being responsible. Giving up power to another person is an act of vulnerability. And that should definitely be respected and honored and valued. I think it's always important to remember that no one is entitled to mine or anyone else's submission. Acting with honesty and integrity is the best way to attract and to keep good partners. In my experience, you know, it isn't always the most physically attractive people who are the best doms, right? It's not the most flashy doms. Um, it's the ones who are most knowledgeable in their craft and treat their partners with respect who have the most positive reputation in the community and are often seen as the most desirable play partners. And I just can't be, it can't be uh, put forward enough that just be, that it's important to remember that just because you identify as a dom does not mean that subs are required to throw themselves at your feet. In this community, power is given, not taken. And without subs, there would be no doms. And for people who enjoy being submissive, um, remember that giving up power to someone is a gift. It's an act of trust and it should definitely be valued as such. We need to respect and honor ourselves by not giving power to people who abuse it or mistreat us. And I think sometimes it can be really hard for subs, especially new ones, to stand up for themselves when they feel uncomfortable or advocate for themselves. Uh, I think sometimes, you know, they're afraid of like looking like a bad sub, you know, but asking questions, 
taking a break and having boundaries does not make you a bad sub. And anyone who has a problem with you doing any of those things is a dangerous person that you should probably not be playing with. If something doesn't feel right, you absolutely have a right to ask questions, to take a break, and to cut the scenes short. And don't ever let someone tell you that you owe them your submission, your body, your attention, or your time. Because you don't. Another source of confusion tends to be between kink and sexual orientation. Like, just because someone is gay or bi does not mean that they're kinky, right? Just because someone's bi doesn't mean that they want a fucking threesome. Lots of straight people are kinky, and lots of LGBTQIA plus people are not kinky at all. Um, or they're vanilla, as we like to call, as we like to call the non-kinky folk. <laughs> Sometimes, like, gay, bi, or pansexual folks get a reputation for being more, like, sexually deviant or promiscuous, and that just simply is not um, and I'll definitely get more into this in part two about how like how like sexual orientation and kink kind of intersect. Um, but I think it's also important to note that not all kink even involves having sex. For some people, a lot of people engage in kink with no intention or desire for sex. For some people, just being tied up or, you know, having a good ass beating or just making someone cry is like, all that they need to feel to feel fulfilled and satisfied like personally i like mixing in sex with my kink but not everyone does and also i think it's important to note that what you can do in private definitely varies from what you can do in public um, laws definitely vary from state to state but some states actually forbid people to have sex at like public bdsm dungeons so sometimes the requirements for BDSM events are very different from events that allow actual sex with penetration. Like for example, in California, it's actually illegal to have sex at public BDSM dungeons. In California, sex is restricted to membership only clubs or events. So like more private events where you have to actually be on a guest list. Um, and this distinction might seem kind of minor, but like the legal ramifications for club owners are huge. So, you know, if you're playing in a public dungeon or you're at like a semi, you know, public event and, you know, or you're at an event or something like that and you're not sure if the activity that you want to partake in is acceptable, always check in with, you know, your dungeon master or the event organizer to make sure that you're in the clear for what it is that you want to do. Uh, another often misunderstood thing is that kink is kink is also separate from relationship orientation. Just because someone is non-monogamous or poly or swinger does not mean that they are kinky. And just because someone is kinky does not mean that they're not monogamous. A lot of monogamous people are kinky. And I've met a lot of non-monogamous people who are not kinky. So, for example, um, in my experience, a lot of swingers that I've, I've met are, like, pretty vanilla. Like, they might enjoy switching partners or being watched or maybe having the occasional threesome. But other than that, like, their sexual tastes really aren't out of the ordinary. Like, if you go to a swingers party and you start, like, you tie someone up, you start flogging them, like, people might actually look at you weird. Like, whoa, like, that's a little intense, bro. <laughs> 
Um, and then other situations I've encountered are a lot of people who are kinky are only kinky within the boundaries of a monogamous relationship. I really wanted to highlight this one because I get this a lot in my room. Um, I get this from a lot of my fans, like in my camera room, from a lot of my fans, usually like cisgendered heterosexual males. I usually get it from them. But I get a lot of fans who come into me saying, hey, so like my partner's like super kinky in the bedroom, but you know, like she, you know, she'll let me like, you know, tie her up and like slap her around. But like, how do I get her to have a threesome or like, you know, some kind of group sex? <laughs> you don't. You don't get someone to do anything, right? Like, this is always, uh, it's like, I hate to spoil your, you know, your fantasy orgasm, you know, situation, but just because your partner's kinky does not mean that they're interested in non-monogamy. Just because your partner is willing to do kinky things with you does not mean that they want to do them with other people. <laughs> like, you know, this really just, it seems like common sense to me, but a lot of people, especially horny hetero dudes, <laughs> really don't seem to understand this distinction. Like, your kink might include group sex, but that doesn't mean that your partner's kink does. Non-monogamy and kink are two completely different things. Now, sometimes they overlap, but it's important to remember that sexual orientation relationship orientation and kink are all separate things. And trying to push your partner into doing something that they aren't comfortable with is douchey. Uh, and so I do think though that I wanna make a separate episode on what to do when you're kinky and your partner isn't, or maybe you're non-monogamous and your partner's monogamous, cause I do get those questions a lot and I do think I should make a separate episode dedicated to like that specific issue. Um, the next thing I want to clarify is that two people can have the same kink, but like express it completely differently. So for example, like, let's take like, like a foot fetish. Some folks enjoy toes. Some folks enjoy soles. Some might enjoy foot worship while others prefer getting trampled and still someone else might enjoy just giving a nice gentle foot massage. Like two people can have the same kink but be doing it for completely different reasons. And this, and all of these examples, of course, are assuming that the person with the foot fetish is submissive, um, which isn't necessarily true, as we talked about, right? Like power orientation does not overlap with kink. For instance, I've met a lot of doms who enjoy playing with feet, you know? Um, so you can't assume that just because someone likes one thing that they're automatically going to enjoy another. And the last thing I want to end this episode on is kink shaming. So even within the BDSM and kink community, there are still a lot of kinks that are misunderstood, <laughs> uh, made fun of, and sometimes just get a bad rap, you know? And personally, I think this is because, you know, even with all of our efforts to like normalize kink and sexual diversity, I think we kind of know that like as a marginalized group, we're always gonna kind of be judged by like the most extreme people in it, right? 
And, you know, the only time you ever see BDSM in the news is when, like, something goes wrong or, like, someone's injured or abused, you know, or, or when it's, like, the butt of a joke. And, you know, it's true. Like, some fetishes are definitely more out there than others, you know, but I think it's important to hold space for other people and not be so quick to judge what we don't understand. Man, <laughs> this is so true. A good example is, um, I remember before I got into like the whole BDSM and kink community, um, I was still, you know, just dancing and going to like goth and industrial clubs. I was probably like 18, right? And I would go to these like goth clubs because I really just, I liked industrial music and I liked to dance, right? And so at these clubs, they would often have like stage shows. They would have like performances like on platforms and stuff, right? And they would have like, you know, they have like flogging or I even saw this one show where somebody had like a car battery and they were like zapping people's nipples with it, you know, like... And I remember, you know, I used to go to these clubs and I would look up at these shows and I'd be like, yo, I'm not one of those freaks, right? Like, I'm not one of those kinky people. I just like being choked and manhandled when I have sex. But like, I'm not one of those freaks. <laughs> so stupid, right? Look at me now. <laughs> it's so stupid though, right? Like, thinking that we're like, more normal than someone else or better than someone else it's just fucking stupid <laughs> like there is no normal right there is only what works for you and what doesn't like do i enjoy every kink out there no not at all but does that make the kinks that i don't enjoy like bad or wrong or weird no not at all now, you know, some kinks are definitely more dangerous than others. You know, I'll give you that, definitely. Edgy kinks like blood play, consensual non-consent, knife play, fire play, and things like that do definitely come with significantly more risks, um, both to a person's mental and physical well-being. And they do require a higher degree of knowledge, experience, and consent to make sure that everybody's safe. But you know, as long as everyone involved is acting responsibly and there's consent from all parties, then there's really nothing else to do except keep it pushing. So that's all I've got for you for part one. Join me in the next episode for part two when I go more in depth about taboo kinks and why I love them so much. <laughs> And definitely don't forget to follow me on Twitter at KinkyWild1. You can also follow me on my new Instagram account. My old one got banned. Follow me on my new Instagram at Vera.Payam. And until next time, I'm Vera Payam. And I hope someone has told you this. But if no one has told you today, allow me to be the first. I don't know you, but I love you. <laughs>